are lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning to you, Toronto. And thank you very, very kindly for joining us on our inaugural show of Hi-Fi Radio. Yes, it stands for high fiber, high finance, high five, oh, just high all around. And yes, we got some of those marijuana stocks to talk about later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk tax to launch the show. And of course, in the studio with us is my wingman, right-hand man, portfolio manager, Mr. Jack Hartle. Welcome to the show, Jack, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Wolf. We're going to have a lot of fun with this show, Jack. Uh, it's going to be a new experience for both of us. And truly, this show has been 15 years in the making. Um, it's going to be very unique in that we're going to bring some talent to the table that has never been to the table before, shall I say. Some brilliant ideas, some fresh thought. Uh, we're here to help you with your finance. We're here to help you better understand the world of money. Uh, and at our fingertips are just some wonderful, wonderful talent. I'm starting to sound a little bit like Trump. It's going to be huge, I think, Jack. Hey, we're all, we've all been Trumpified a little bit, I think, in the society of ours. But there certainly is no Trump here. We are Canadian boys, and this is going to be a very Canadian show, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, well, we've been in the finance uh, industry for, you've been for 15 years. I've been here for, for 12 with you as a partner. And uh, we met a lot of professional people along the way, and hopefully we can bring those... Uh, those professionals to the 640 uh, listeners. Yeah, no, we got some good ideas, I think, uh, in terms of some of the analysts that we can bring to the equation in, in the world of IT, the world of banking, uh, the world of real estate. Oh, real estate's a great topic. We're going to be talking a lot about real estate on this show. And is the bubble going to burst? When is the bubble going to burst, Jack? And, uh, you know, you're an, you're an Aurora boy, and uh, gee whiz, million-dollar homes all over Aurora now. They're sprouting out of the ground, apparently. Hey, like, what is going on with your real estate market? Yeah, if you're within the, within an hour of Toronto, I guess you're a millionaire now. Let's see uh, what seems to be the case. It's true. Everyone has become a millionaire. Uh, mind you, the Uber uh, driver, what was his name who took us down here this, this morning to the studio? Was his name Jack? No, uh, Howard, Howard. Yeah. Howard, our Uber driver. is ironic. We were at the AM 640 studios twice uh, in the last month. One, pitching the show, and then, of course, here, launching our show. And guess what? With all those Uber drivers in Toronto, who would have thought we would get the same driver twice? His name is Howard, wonderful driver. Uh, let's see what happens if we get him next week when we come back to the show. <laughs> but what a, what a great app that Uber app is. And uh, the Green Pea app, Jack, uh, wonderful app. Again, uh, gee, the world of apps is making life easier. But my fear is... Will we be apt out, you and I? Hey, we can talk about destructive technology. We can talk about ro the world of robo, eh? There's a lot of disruptive technology out there, for sure. Uh, you mentioned Uber. You mentioned robo. And uh, the investment industry is changing. We've changed with it over the last 15 years. And I would expect us to be able to adapt and, and prosper going forward as well. Yeah, now, now, Jack, who were you saying was spending more money in technology and R&D in terms of industries? In terms but, of industrial yeah, industries? Yeah, industries, yeah. The banking industry, right? Oh yeah, so, yeah. JP Morgan, nine billion dollars in uh, in technology. So a banking industry spending nine billion dollars, massive amount of money in R and D and technology. Yeah, who would have thought that banks would be the, would would have become the biggest IT spenders out there? Uh, some of it, I guess, of course, is encryption and protective purposes. Uh, others, other aspects of that spend, I believe, is to protect itself from competitive threats of what's called fintech. Uh, and again, we're going to be talking about fintech on this show because uh, fintech is huge. And certainly I don't want it 
to put me out of business because, hey, I'm too young of a guy. I love what I do. I love taking care of my peeps, so to speak. I love having you in my life, Jack. You're a great guy. So, uh, yeah, no, we don't want fintech putting us out of business. But, hey, might as well stay a step ahead of fintech rather than have it eat us alive. Yeah, a lot lot of banking spending, obviously, is in security, keeping your money secure. That's the first thing. But uh, the disruptive technology and the the fintech that you reference, we're going to have a lot of experts be able to come on board and uh, discuss that topic in the coming weeks, I would imagine. Yeah, and of course, the uh, you know Bank of Canada, you know, keep keeping very local right now. Bank of Canada again, keeping interest rates very, very uh, accommodative. Uh, any anything to add to uh, the most recent uh, statement from our central bank, Jack? I guess it was a very hawkish statement. The fact that they're not going to go even more negative. Uh, we saw that this week. Uh, gave the loonie about uh, uh, a half a day of uh, strength, and then it basically dissipated uh, in the afternoon. So. Um, Bank of Canada remains very accommodative, um, and interest rates remain lower for longer. That you know, keep that uh, that real estate bubble going. I guess it's re- remarkable. And you know, it's, again, you know, when when clients ask us beyond uh, stocks and bonds, uh, seems one of the strongest topics, of course, is real estate. And the other hot topic, of course, has been, I'd say, that Canadian dollar. We get constant, constant questions about where the Canadian dollar is going. And you know, Jack and I wrestle with this uh, discussion uh, each day, every day. And you know, the conclusion is the Canadian dollar is probably sitting, you know. I won't say fair value. Purchasing parity, as they like to say on the street, is about eighty-two cents. But um, it, it's stuck in a range. Call it seventy-one cents to eighty cents. Right now, it's trading, in, you know, seventy-five. So uh, I'm saying it's right in the middle of the range. So if you get yourself a little bit of headwind with the currency, if you're a business person or an investor, uh, I can assure you a little tailwind is on its way as well. Uh, right now, Jack and I are feeling a little bit of headwind uh, with uh, the Canadian currency because we are very, very long that American market. And of course, that's the next question is, how much longer, Doc, shall you and I remain long the American market? Well, it's expensive, but it's expensive for a reason because it's the best market in the, in the world. It uh, gives you good global exposure, uh, no doubt. It uh, gives you businesses that you really don't have exposure to here in Canada. Uh, up in Canada, we have banking, we have mining, we have oil and gas, uh, but we don't have the diversified uh, global mandates and global businesses that you see down in the U.S. So for the time being, I think it's prudent to be there. And uh, the U.S. dollar gives us a good hedge uh, when the markets do go south because it tends to get relatively strong. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the strongest points, uh, Jack, of, of being long than the American market as a Canadian. Uh, because as a Canadian investor, going into America, you have to have a U.S. dollar. And uh, as much printing has gone on, love America, hate America, love the U.S. dollar, hate the U.S. dollar, that U.S. dollar is very attractive in times of stress, any kind of financial stress in the marketplace, and money runs back to the U.S. buck, pushing it higher. Uh, so it's a wonderful cushion, a wonderful hedge for Canadian investors. Uh, so to stay long the American dollar, I think, is a very, very wise thing. The question is how aggressive you want to be that trade and how passive you want to be on that trade, but certainly some form of exposure throughout your investing career makes a lot of sense. You are listening to Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. More great show coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Good morning, Toronto, and thank you for joining Hi-Fi Radio. In the studio, of course, is my wingman, Jack Hartle. Jack, thank you for being here with us, and it's our pleasure this morning to have a very, very uber individual, Paul Gibney, partner of tax law firm Thorsten Scenes uh, of Toronto, a very, very prestigious tax-only specialty um, law firm, here to help us, of course, 
reduce the burden of paying tax. Uh, Paul, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. So, Paul, you know, you know, we met a couple of times. You've helped me out create some um, trusts for my clients. Uh, and so far, so good. We have saved our clients some money in tax. So thank you for that assistance. But what's hot right now? What can Canadians do uh, to receive some tax reprieve? What, 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 what are your clients asking doing with you right now? Well, over, over the last couple of years, what we've been seeing is that uh, as the income tax rates have skyrocketed up to with now at the high rates for ordinary income is 53.5% and capital gains at 26.8%. Uh, people are really looking to uh, try and do what they can to save taxes. And certainly from, from my practice, I've been doing this for 27 years. Uh, every time the income tax rate gets above 50%, it spurs people to take action. Um, and, and there's a number of things people can do, and, and certainly we're seeing that now. There's what we would call low-hanging fruit, where people are trying to split their, their income with other family members who are at lower tax rates just to reduce the overall burden. It, it doesn't work for people who have employment income, but if you've got investment income, there, there are strategies that we use with things like family trusts, as you were suggesting, and prescribed rate loans and that sort of thing to try and spread the burden over uh, several taxpayers and, and reduce the overall family uh, tax rates. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, tell me something on a different note, Paul. Are you familiar with uh, this new product, the PPP, uh, the personal pension plan? Yeah, or the, or the IPP, uh, the individual pension plan? Yeah, no, I mean, there's are... something beyond that uh, that I'm going to be actually on Sirius XM with talking about next week. It's called a PPP. Uh, so again, it's for the, for the business owner, but um, they, they, they apply to the government for, for special tax status and uh, basically able to increase their, their contribution room. Right. I mean, I, so, so from a tax, tax practitioner, we call that an IPP, an individual pension plan. And these are set up by business owners that allows them to shelter more than they otherwise would be able to shelter with their RSPs. Effectively allows you to, to build up and it's, it's based on actuarial calculations and, and, and income rates. Uh, but because of it, it, and it's only available to business owners and it allows them to effectively shelter more of their income. You get a deduction in the corporation, goes into your, to your IPP, and it grows there on a tax-free basis. And then it comes out on a fully taxable basis like an RRSP uh, down the road when your, your income levels are not as high. Tell me something, Paul. How many of your clients are business owners? Well, I mean, that's pretty much all I do. Mm-hmm. Our firm, we've got over 50 lawyers doing Canadian tax, and we cover all sorts of areas. I, my practice is just for what we call private clients, so business owners, high net worth individuals, family members, trusts, and the like. So um, that's what I deal with all day long, every day. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because I've, I've noticed that. I think if, if there's a moral to the story, uh, boys and girls out there, if you're thinking of a career, become a business owner. You just have so many more options in life and with how you manage your money if you have a corporation. But I, I, I do, Paul, Jack wants to uh, uh, come in here and ask you a couple of questions, if you may. I was going to sure. say, you, you mentioned about the, uh, the prescribed rate loan there, Paul, the trust. Yes. And I was just wondering, uh, how, how does that structure work? How do you set it up for clients? Yeah, so um, what the prescribed rate loan is, is that um, there are, the, the rules of the Income Tax Act uh, basically are designed to stop individuals from transferring income from one, in, from one high-rate taxpayer to a low-rate taxpayer. But there is a specific exclusion that if you lend money and you charge interest equal to what we call the prescribed rate, which in Canada is, is the, effectively the 90-day average T-bill rate, which right now is 1%. So if you charge interest at 1% on the loan, and that interest is paid every year 
by January 30th of the following year, then any income you make beyond that is does not subject to these attribution rules. So if, if a husband, high-rate taxpayer, lends money to his spouse, who's a low-rate taxpayer, ch- and, and charges her, let, let's say he lends her a million dollars, charges her 1% interest, and she's able to make 5% on the money that she gets, uh, she pays 1% to her husband, and now she's got 4% or $40,000 left as taxed in her hands at her low marginal tax rates, as opposed to in the husband's hands, which would have been taxed at the highest marginal tax rates. And so the savings, you know, again, per person can be over $20,000 a year, $20,000, $25,000 a year, depending on what your marginal tax rates are. And then you can do that similarly with children as well. So you can multiply that over, over a number of, of family members to try and lower the overall family tax burden. Yes, there are benefits to having children. We've been looking for those as, as young fathers of ours. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the reason why it works is because the prescriber rate is so low, 1% it used to be exactly. quite a bit higher. Exactly. I mean, many years ago when I was doing this, it was 9, 10, 11%, uh, although returns were likely higher back then too, but, but it really is effective now. And, and, and the, actually the good thing about putting it in place today is that if you put it in, it's the prescribed rate at the time the loan is made is the, is, the, is the prescribed rate that applies to the life of the loan. So if interest rates go up uh, beyond 1%, you've locked in the 1% rate. And so even though you, you, the, the T-bill rate is, say, 3 4 5%, you, for life, you'll, have, you'll be able to only recognize 1% in the high-rate taxpayer's hands, and the, the low-rate taxpayer will get the benefit of those higher rates, and, and it'll make the income splitting that much more effective. Hey, Paul, look, we're in the interest of time, we are getting short here, but um, tell me something. Uh, prior to Alberta raising its tax rates, um, there was a lot of interest by Ontarians to create what was called Albertan Trust that you and I, again, spoke of off-air. But uh, subsequently, of course, they raised their marginal rates at the provincial level in Alberta. So are Albertan Trusts still something that you talk to Ontarians about? Not very much. Yeah. Because, again, that, that was just an arbitrage based on the provincial tax rates. And so um, there were some recent court cases on that which dealt with, I mean, for a long time, the issue was where is a trust residence, and, and even though the settlor may be in, in Ontario and the beneficiaries, the trustee was in Alberta, and the question was, is the trust resident in Alberta or Ontario? And the courts have come out with some rules now basically saying as long as the trustee is fully managing the money and is not taking direct instructions from the beneficiaries, that it's located in Alberta. So there has been some helpful case law over the last couple of years. But as you as you suggest, with the higher tax rates in Alberta, that strategy uh, <laughs> is not as, as effective as it once was. You put a line through that one, eh, Paul? Paul, exactly. you know, you're absolutely terrific. You're a great guy. I love doing business with you. I like re- referring my clients to you. Paul Gibney of Thornstonsteins, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to save tax, he's your man. He's not cheap, but he's worth it. Thank you very much for joining us, Paul. Great. Thanks, Wilkin. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Paul. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Well, good morning, Toronto, and thank you for joining us. Hi-Fi Radio, AM640 on your dial. The debut show, 15 years in the making. Jack Hartle in the house. It's early, but we're here for you, my friends, for the love of money. Tony Dwyer of Wall Street, sort of. Actually, Tony Dwyer on his couch, uh, but of New York City, nonetheless. Our chief strategist, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Tony, thank you very, very much for joining us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure, Wolf. How are you feeling? 
I wish I felt a little bit better, but I'm feeling uh, increasingly better about the market as it comes down. Well, that's good to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better about the market, too, now that you say that. You know, Tony, you've been a good friend of mine since uh, you've joined Canaccord, what, five, six years ago. Uh, and in fact, Jack and I first got exposed to you on CNBC. Uh, and Jack pulled me into the office and said, Wolf, you got to see this guy. We just hired him. Uh, and he is uber bullish. Like, he's off the charts bullish. You've got to see this guy. And he's great. And there you were, Tony. And you had a big smile on your face and your head was polished. And uh, your mind, of course, is always polished. And you, you were just a rock star and you still are a rock star to me. So I was looking forward to bringing you on the debut show. So what's going on with the market? What should we, we be uh, optimistic and enthusiastic about? And what should we be concerned with, Tony? <coughs> Well, Wolf and, and Jack, what we've been dealing with since the middle of December has been the misperception that the Trump trade has been put on. The Trump trade really lasted from the day he was elected until the uh, early part of December. So we downgraded the equity market and, and went sector neutral, which meant um, the off- offensive sectors that would normally participate well with, with President Trump. People have been expecting the financials, the big banks, um, the industrials, materials, energy space to do well on infrastructure spend and rebuild and acceleration in U.S. economic activity. But really, the only time that lasted was that first month from the November election to December. And since then, it has trailed off. So while everybody's watching the, ver- the major indices stay somewhere near their 52-week high, you've had some pretty significant deterioration in those sectors that are underlying the quote-unquote Trump trade. Right, yeah. So while everybody's starting to give up on it, I'm starting to get excited about it because they're oversold. Yeah, all that stuff that was going to make America great again, right, Tony? Correct. Yeah. So, Correct. Not to... and, and... Go, so go ahead. Go ahead Wolf. No, go ahead. No, and, and that's the thing. is it, It's all in plan, but unfo- you know, as you know, Wall Street and, and investing becomes a microwave event where everybody expects something immediate, and it just takes a little bit longer. So I think what the Trump trade was based on is probably progressing forward, but it just takes a little bit longer, and the market gets disappointed and creates opportunity. So, Tony, it's Jack here. Um, with the market coming down, the, the yield curve is also coming down and flattening. I'm just wondering, what are, what are your thoughts on that, and uh, I guess concerns maybe for the financials? Well, Jack, I really don't think it has as much to do with flattening. Like if you look at the the yield curve is still at this point more positive than it was from 1995 through 1998, which happened to be the best outperforming period for banks in its history. So I'm hesitant to say that a flattening yield curve is quote unquote bad for the banks. Shorter interest rates are good for the banks. Uh, So you're seeing it flattening on something that was perceived to be good for the banks. Now, what's been affecting the banks more than the yield curve lately has been a deterioration in in loans. Bank lending hasn't been as strong as people had hoped. And again, this goes back to the delay effect when you're a company and you have a new president that's got change in regulation, change in possible change in tax uh, reform. You're not going to be able to go right away and and say, okay, let's spend all of our money now. Let's go get all the money and spend all the money right now. You need some kind of clarification of what's going to happen in the actual legislative agenda. And and so far, we don't have that. So you've seen banks are probably suffering more from from that than they are from a flattening of the curve. Tony, in your picture book, uh, the April strategy picture book that we all gravitate towards when it hits the uh, press, um, you speak about soft data uh, not translating into hard data. Can you uh, expand upon that uh, concept? Sure. For the listeners, what that means this is a classic Wall Streetism. Soft data is the survey-based stuff. Basically, how do you feel? So they go to, for example, 
the uh, National Federation of Independent Businesses, the NFIB, Small Business Optimism Index. They go and they pull a whole ton of these small business CEOs and ask them how they're feeling. And, and since Trump's been elected, that's off the charts. It's been historic rise in how small company executives are feeling. Mm-hmm. But the, the hard data is, is that translating to them actually hiring people? And if you watch popular media, they would suggest that the soft data, the survey, which has been so good, has not translated into good real economic data like hiring. But that's inaccurate. When you look at the ADP payroll report, which is the automatic data processing payroll report, which measures um, hiring at the small, middle, and large-sized businesses, 46% of the last reading, which was a historically high reading, was actually in the small business hiring. Plus, the household survey within the payroll report last Friday showed over almost 450,000 jobs created, again, many of those in the small areas. So we do believe that the soft data, the survey-based stuff that's been so good, is just beginning to translate into the hard data, which is why we expect an ex- economic acceleration as we move through 2017. So we're going from soft data to hard data. We're around 7.20 in the morning here. Tony Dwyer on the line. Uh, You know, Tony, we've always said as Canadians, for the most part, what's good for America is good for Canada. So if you make America great again, well, Canada will continue to be great, I guess. Well, just to be clear, Wolfie, America is already great. We're just going to get greater, and we're going to make sure that we do our best to have Canada move with it. That's already (laughs) great as well, too. Wouldn't that just be fantastic? Yeah. Tony, you're a terrific guy. We're going to have you on the show frequently, my friend. So uh, may you feel better, and thank you very kindly. My pleasure, Wolfie and Jack. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks, Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Yes, we are back, and we are going to talk about medical marijuana. On the line, we have Sebastian St. Louis of Hydropothecary, the president and CEO of this very, very fine medical marijuana company. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thanks for having me, Wolfgang. So uh, tell us a little bit about your company. Again, I, I, I've met you before, and I've seen you present in our boardroom uh, the dynamics of your business, but please share with the Hi-Fi, and that's High Finance, perhaps, audience this morning, uh, exactly what your company does and how you're positioned in the marketplace. Hydropothecary is one of the largest uh, licensed producers in Canada. Uh, We are the only licensed producer in Quebec, and we are full service to our customers uh, with products starting at $7.25 a gram on the dried side and going all up the way to our super premium time of day line at $15 a gram. Um, now tell me something. You mentioned that you're the only producer in Quebec. Uh, obviously, you know when people think of marijuana and they think of Quebec, they think of the Hell's Angels. Uh, was this an issue for you? Uh, and, and if so, how did you uh, uh, overcome the barrier to entry? Shall I say? We, what we did really is carefully select our team members. Uh, we went through a rigorous screening, just like any other uh, licensed producer uh, on uh, the top secret clearance side with Health Canada and the RCMP, uh, but we did some additional screening with uh, our ex-RCMP consultants, and uh, thankfully, we've never had an issue. What are the largest costs of input, and does this have a, a bearing on why you located in Quebec? Absolutely. The largest cost of input for most licensed producers uh, and for hydropothecary is hydroelectric costs. 
And uh, being in Quebec, we benefit from some of the lowest rates in the country, paying 4.9 cents a kilowatt hour. This gives us an advantage on a cost basis of about four times uh, less cost on our largest input than our competitors in Ontario. Kathleen, did you hear that? And I'm talking wind here. Uh, yes, it's, it's, you know, I've heard this from a number of businesses not locating in Ontario because of the cost of power in this province. It's, something has to change on that front. Um, now, you mentioned that you, you're, you're able to sell medical marijuana from $7 a gram to $15 a gram. Uh, tell us this morning <laughs> what the difference is between the two products. Yeah, so it's really in the process. Uh, so the uh, the plant process uh, goes through uh, two different binning systems. So essentially all the top points of the plant, so essentially pulling down one bud per plant at the absolute apex is what's slotted in for our time of day, uh, four different products to take depending on your symptoms throughout the day uh, that you can, uh, and, and then that particular uh, bud is put through a specific process, going through hand manicure only, rehydrated to a perfect 16%, uh, packaged in a glass jar, and then of course that's supported with our award-winning customer service, uh, 24-7 support in both official languages. Um, our main uh, our main H2 line, which is uh, starting at 725 a gram, comes from the middle of the plant, some smaller buds. Uh, that product can be machine trimmed, still a very good product, still hitting top marks on cannabinoid contents, which is the medicine, um, but uh, more affordable to Canadians. Remarkable. Sebastian, a uh, big farmer always talks about patents, and that's uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, the intellectual property is uh, a lot of the value in the, the companies, and they spend a lot of uh, money in research and development. Uh, what type of intellectual property or trade secrets do you guys have uh, over cannabis? In, uh, in, in marijuana, it's very difficult to, uh, to do IP with plants. Most of the genetics have originally um, originated in the gray or black market and were brought in legally uh, through uh, whitewashing by Health Canada. Um, so what we've done to work within that framework is really focus on speed of innovation. And we've uh, demonstrated that uh, twice so far. And we have a third, uh, third demonstration of that coming soon. Uh, the first two were with a resin license, uh, which allows us to uh, deal in high concentration uh, cannabis oil, uh, intra-licensed producer, and also to other pharmaceutical companies. And that opens up some really interesting revenue options on the toll processing option and wholesale option leading up to uh, recreational legalization, uh, which will be key for edibles and drinks and, and that side of the market. Uh, most recently, our latest success has been our CannaCap offering, which is part of our decarb line. These are the only dried cannabis pills on the market, uh, and they're just fantastic. Uh, starting at $8.50 a gram, uh, they can last for upwards of 14 hours to remove pain or help with sleep. Um, there's no calories from oil and also no stomach pain that some customers have associated with oil use. Uh, they also come in an extra strength version, uh, 65 milligrams of THC, and that's about four times stronger than the leading oil pill on the market at the moment. So this is uh, obviously a relatively new industry uh, being legal in Canada anyways for medical marijuana. Uh, what are your concerns about the threat of big pharma entering your space and uh, the competitive threats there? I think Big Pharma is afraid of cannabis, and I think they don't understand cannabis. Uh, the whole plant compound is much more complicated than the typical drug development roof of Big Pharma. Big Pharma will typically look at structure and function of a specific molecule. 
Um, in marijuana, uh, the, the whole plant compound is a variety of molecules. We're talking over 40 different cannabinoids, hundreds of terpenes, and they work together uh, or against each other to modulate their effects. And we've seen this specifically in the synthetic THC that's been produced by GW Pharmaceuticals, uh, which has been able to reduce epilepsy, for example, by about 20%. Uh, but when you compare that so the whole plant compound that we produce at Hydropothecary, we're looking at epilepsy reduction upwards of 95%. So I think from an R&D perspective, uh, we're already there with a much better product than the big pharma has been able to produce. And that's why I think cannabis is here to stay. Well, Sebastian, again, I've seen you present before. You're a very dynamic entrepreneur, uh, very, very Canadian of you to join us uh, today. Uh, he knows you got your AM, there's your PM product. Uh, very, very dynamic what's going on. I wish you great, great success with your business. I want to thank you very kindly for joining us here on Hi-Fi Radio. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for the time. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. Good morning and you are joining us at Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, in the studio, of course, my wingman, Jack Hartle. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Wolf. On the line, we are joined with Alex Ray of Homegrown Hydroponics. Good morning, Alex. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great, Alex, and thank you very, very much for joining us. So uh, well, what is your position now with, with Homegrown, Alex? Well, I guess you call me uh, VP, Vice President. Um, I'll, I'll call you that, yeah. yeah. I look, you know, Alex, there's a lot of history with, with your family and myself, uh, and of course being a Torontonian, um, gee whiz, there's a place called Sister Kate's, Wilson and Weston Road. Uh, Absolutely. And, I, and I'm talking the early 80s, folks. Uh, I was going to high school, and I see this little building pop up, and there these funny plants pictures on it and inside were light bulbs uh, a whole lot of light bulbs and people growing tomatoes uh, and sort of winking at one another as they were growing their tomato plants saying gee this is good for the tomato and that's good for the tomatoes all about the tomatoes uh, wasn't it Alex absolutely that was a, a great old spot we were there for many years uh, starting in about 1985 wow that uh, bar sister Kate's was there for quite a few years before us well you know your family really was the first at you know, teaching people how to grow stuff, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, you know, we used to hear you on the radio, and uh, uh, Andy Frost, of course, was, was a big friend of the family, was uh, uh, doing spots for you. And, uh, but things have changed, and, 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 and Alex, it, it, it's interesting to see, but you, I think your customer is about to change, certainly with legislation uh, coming down the pike for legalization. We've uh, been seeing a change for a long time. Mm-hmm. So well, tell us about that. So legal weed really started in 99 with Terry Parker, but there was never a good program to let people either access cannabis or grow it themselves. And starting in about 2005 with some legislative changes, uh, the government allowed people to petition and get a license to grow. And that's where the legal aspect of, of cannabis in Canada really gets off. And, uh, and you, you end up in, in just a, maybe five years, five, ten years, 30,000 legal growers in the whole country growing their own medicine Currently? safely. No, that, that, was, uh, that program ended in about 2013 when the government tried to take away those grow licenses. Mm. The government was unsuccessful, and, 
and patients got their grow licenses back, which was you know nice for us to see because we really like people being able to grow their medicine themselves safely and cheaply because they're cutting their their medicine bill for cannabis like down you know by many percentages by half by a quarter depending on how you know good of a grower you are so so how do you see um how do you see the industry developing now that uh it is becoming legalized uh medically anyways and it sounds like next year on canada day it'll be uh uh for recreational use as well uh how's that going to affect your business uh going forward and looking out the next call it five years what happened is we've had this huge culture change and the culture develop in Canada where people are growing themselves. They love growing themselves, every different strain. There's a seed for every different kind of pod under the sun. And people love growing their own cannabis inside and out and outdoors, and that's not going to change. You're going to see more people start to use cannabis under legalization, but I think there's going to be a real flourishing of a craft at home sort of culture, and that's where homegrown really helps people understand how to do this safely and effectively. Uh, and we hope we hope that under legalization there will be a way to grow grow at home yourself legally. Do you, do you think, Alex? Again, you look at home brew and make your own wine. Um, do you think you'd have a greater or less penetration than uh, the do-it-yourself um, craft beverage makers? It's a great question. It's not something we can really nail down right now, but more people buy bread than make it. More people buy beer than make it. And I expect that, tr- that trend to continue. The uh, over-the-counter sales of cannabis products is, is going to grow, and it's going to dwarf the grow-at-home side of things. But that doesn't mean that the grow-at-home market is, is not going to be huge, and it may dwarf uh, home brewing and home baking. Uh, you know, you look at, at just gardening sales in general, and it's been growing year over year for the last 20 years. People are really getting into growing organic at home, either inside or in their backyard. And I think that's going to be a trend that really continues for the future. What, what percentage of your customers are growing tomatoes and lettuce and uh, other non-marijuana items? We've seen that component actually grow. And maybe 25% of our customers are, are growing in their backyard, are growing herbs on the counter. And so it really is a large contingent, and people enjoy it. I get so many parents that say, my kids don't know how plants grow. I need to teach them. And people from overseas uh, that are living here now, they're bringing their own peppers and, and different cultivars from overseas and growing them here as a, as a, a link to home and as, as a part of their culture. So this is something, you know, that people just really want to do. And when it comes to cannabis, there's even a greater interest because people think, well, it's got to be much cheaper to grow it at home than to buy it, you know, for 10 bucks a gram, which is is a huge price, you know, when you can actually grow it for 50 cents a gram, you know, outside in your backyard if you're you know, really doing things cheaply. Properly, yeah. Well, look, Alex, your company and, and, and your family are, are complete pioneers and experts in, in the area of growing yourself. So if you want to learn how to grow, uh, 1-800-INFO-GROW. Call Homegrown Hydroponics. It's that the only way to grow. Jingle ser- served us well. And you, you can find it. us at hydroponics.com as well. We were on, on the net back in 1995 with information. And one of the first websites, you can go on the Wayback Machine and see uh, we've had a, a website there for years and years, and we're really proud to be a fixture of Toronto 
and uh, and help this city keep growing. Well, you certainly have done that, Alex. Thank you very, very much for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Thanks, Wolf. Thanks, Jack. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Hi-Fi Radio, and that's the Fidelity, part of the Fi. Back to finance. Jack Hartle in the studio with me. Wolfgang Klein, the Wolf on Bay Street, with you. And our final guest is a Bay Street analyst. And you know what this fella analyzes? Pot stocks. Oh, it's half pot, half the time here on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Matt Bottomley is our guest. Thank you very kindly, Matt, for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Matt, you know, I know analysts. I've worked on Bay Street for now 15 years. And, you know, I still, I, I still have to, I don't say pinch myself, but I scratch my head and say, is there really pot analysts on Bay Street? Like, I go to these presentations. I'm seeing all these pictures of bud and the, these tables of plants and these light bulbs. And I cannot believe how the world has changed. Really, I can't. And here we are, a, you know, a, a button-down Bay Street analyst uh, covering these marijuana stocks. It's unbelievable. Did, I, did your parents know what you do? Uh, they do. Uh, I mean, I think it is uh, obviously very topical conversation, uh, a lot of interested parties in it. Um, but listen, I think the train's left the station on this, and it's something where, you you know, you got to get ahead of this and understand it because there's been a lot of capital raised in the last few quarters and a lot of build-out to, to fund what I think is going to be a very significant both medical and, and recreational opportunity. So, you know, I know you can, you know, <laughs> show the imagery of a, of a button-down accountant, which which I suppose I am, but it is something that, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of analysis involved, and it's like any other business where you're just trying to whittle down what the cash flows are and what the risks are in this industry. Matt, you say that the trains left the station. Is it, uh, is it late in the game for medical marijuana and uh, recreational? Or are we still uh, in the early stages here? Oh, no, no. It's, it's very, very early stages. I think when, when I say the train has left the station, I'm referring more to the, the amount of licensed producers that exist today, the, ex- the, ex- the extensive capital plans that exist and the build that's going on. Uh, you know, we're expecting regulations to, to come in the pipeline soon that might clarify what this market might look like. I mean, it is going to happen. There's a lot of risks in terms of what the timing is. Uh, you know what the risks are to the the LPs that 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 currently uh, that currently are publicly listed, and you know how the value chain is going to get divided up. What what piece of the pie might they get? But um, you know it's something that's happening. It's just a question of uh, you know how how large can this market get from a revenue and cash flow opportunity, and what are the risks associated? With them? And there are a lot of risks. Don't get me wrong, but it is something that 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 is happening. You know, as as we speak, you can see the valuations today in the market are are uh, are, are proving that. Sure. As it's happening, I guess, what, what are the key drivers that you're seeing in the industry uh, across Canada? What's going to make these companies uh, uh, go in an upward trajectory? trajectory? Yeah, well, I th- you know, I think you have to really do a deep dive in, in, in individual LPs. And we do sort of a fundamental valuation, and we, we, we do consider the recreational opportunity much riskier, uh, of course. Uh, and, and, you know, the medical, the medical side of things, you are seeing a 10% month-over-month increase in these registered patients. So, uh, you know, that's a little easier to forecast. But we, what we look for in individual licensed producers uh, of cannabis is, one, their funded capacity. So what do their balance sheets look like? How much cash is in the bank? What have what their boards approved to build out? How large can they get? 
you know, in 2017, 18, 19, when we expect recreational marijuana to start. Um, and, and their cost of production is key as well. I mean, you have greenhouse growers that can get down to a dollar per gram, and you have, you know, indoor cultivators that can have very almost pharmaceutical-like products uh, that are a bit more expensive, um, but again, have m- maybe a little more of a consistency and higher quality product. So uh, you have to look at all these things. You have to look at their patient acquisition, acquisition strategy in terms of how they're getting their registered patients to register with them and to sell into the market. So every company has a different angle. There's many corners of the market that you see these LPs that are trying to tackle, and you really have to look at them, you know, one one by one. They're all very different. Just saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, there's sort of a vanilla flavor out there in terms of cannabis as cannabis is, I don't think, the right way to look at it. I think there's different plays in this market and, and, and different strengths and weaknesses amongst these players. Well, we certainly learned that, learned that when speaking with Sebastian St. Louis of Hydropothecary because he has grams for 7 bucks and grams for 15 That's stuff, right. Stuff for AM, stuff for PM. You know, it, it's interesting, uh, again, because, uh, you know, in terms of research on the street, Matt, uh, it's very difficult still to find research on marijuana companies, which really probably is of no surprise. But you have to tell, tell, tell their audience why the Canadian banks are not just there yet. Well, I don't have a good answer for that. I think that uh, you know every every institution is is looking at this uh, from the standpoint of of, of you know wh- where they want to you know allocate both their capital and both their their resources into research. I think behind the scenes, everyone is looking at this space. Like I said, I think there's a lot of uh, learning that needs to be done and, and a lot of uh, uh, you know a lot of good insights that are out there. But I think in terms of why there isn't coverage, that's something where maybe and I'm speculating. Uh, you know, there's institutions out there that need that check mark. They need to say, okay, this is officially legalized, and we are going to see on Thursday. Um, potential uh, shades of what this might look like in terms of the regulatory framework, but it's still going to take maybe into the early fall, maybe even to November before that check mark is officially there. And, and there may be institutions, and again, I don't know, um, that just might be waiting for that box to check before they're willing to, to dive in. Well, I've seen studies, Matt, that showing that this industry potentially could be as large as the spirits industry uh, or the beverage industry, the beer industry, which, which eclipses some $10 billion in revenue for Canada alone. Do you think the market would actually get that big? Uh, yeah, you know, I think there's a potential. Our estimates uh, that, that we've published have it at $8 billion at peak, uh, and that's a retail number. I think it all depends on, on what this market looks like from a product standpoint. So when you look at the market today, uh, you know, it's, it's 90% flour-based. You know, you know, the imagery of smoking a joint, there are oil-based products that are starting to come, come in, into the market uh, at higher, higher in velocity. And I think the U.S. market is a good proxy for that, where you actually see in states like Colorado and Washington that extract products, maybe edible products, uh, things that are derivative of the actual cannabinoids that are used, uh, those are really picking up market share. And I think, you know, my estimate of $8 billion does potentially have future upside if the products that are on the Canadian market down the road are closer to looking like the things that you see in Colorado. And again, that all depends on the regulations and what's actually allowed by Health Canada, and that's to be determined. So I think, you know, $10 billion is, is, is not out of, out of reach by any means. I, I have it a little lower personally. Um, and again, I think it's important to, 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 to underline that that's a retail number. So the licensed producers that a lot of people are, are, are looking at from a public company standpoint. These are companies that might end up being wholesale operations that sell to maybe a shopper's drug mart or maybe you know a, an LCB or whatever the, the distribution model is that right. to be determined. And there's going to be a portion of this value that's attributed to the non-growers, the non-cultivators. And I think that's an important thing for investors to keep in mind when they're trying to value these stocks is that the LPs today who currently sell directly to consumers over the mail in the current medical framework in Canada, that's not what it's going to look like, in my opinion, when this thing's at maturity. I think mm-hmm. there's going to be a wholesale retailer model and I think that's an important distinction to make. So yes, I think the market could get to $10 billion, uh, but that is going to be allocated between different industry players. Fair, fair enough, Matt. Well, you've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio, Matt Bottomley, uh, analyst 
of medical marijuana stocks at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Well, that's it for our show, our debut show. It's been a complete pleasure and treat, and whew, thank God that show's behind us. The first hole of golf is always the worst. It's only going to get better from here, folks. If you have any questions for us, WolfgangKlein.com. Place them, and we'll address them next week. Jack Hartle, it's been a pleasure. You've been fantastic on this show, and my friend, it's all uphill from here. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me, buddy. You're welcome. See you next week.